You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Domecast. This is a uh, very special Wednesday afternoon, all primary, all the time edition of the Domecast. I'm Pat Gannon from The Insider, filling in as host this week. Uh, I've got with me four uh, News and Observer journalists, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, yesterday was uh, the statewide primary. We, uh, you know, voters went to the polls and elected, uh, you know, or picked their uh, top choices for president on down um, to county commissioners uh, races uh, at the local level. And um, all in all, there weren't many surprises here. Uh, uh, most of the favorites won, um, you know, from the top to the bottom in, in, in a lot of ways. And i um, here to talk about one of the big race or two of the big races are Colin Campbell and, and um, Craig Jarvis from the News and Observer. We'll start with Colin. One of the big races yesterday clearly was the uh, U.S. Senate, uh, the two Senate primary, two U.S. Senate primaries, one, the Republican primary and the Democratic primary. Tell, me, tell us what happened there. Yeah, so that was a, an interesting one in that um, you had sort of the establishment favorites. Obviously, Richard Burr is the incumbent, powerful guy in Washington on the Republican side. Uh, the Democrats had sort of struggled last year to find a, a top-tier candidate uh, to take on Burr. I think they eventually settled by a fall on former state representative Deborah Ross, who sort of uh, took on that mantle and got a lot of the key endorsements, a lot of the key fundraising. But each of them had to fend off three different challengers in order to uh, win and uh, several of them were actually pretty well organized. Greg Brannon, the obstetrician from Cary, who's sort of aligned with the uh, Tea Party set, uh, he had a pretty strong campaign. Uh, this time he'd run before against Tom Tillis, uh, sort of running on a defeat the Washington establishment uh, was his slogan on all of his signs, which uh, dovetailed quite nicely for him with uh, the sort of message that Ted Cruz and uh, Donald Trump are bringing to the presidential race, but ultimately didn't really do enough for Brannon to even go beyond, I think 25% was sort of his ceiling um, in the election last night. Uh, so really not uh, what he had hoped for. His, his goal was to get all those Cruz and Trump voters. And if he'd done that, he would have very easily defeated Richard Byrd. But he wasn't able to sort of, I guess, get his name out enough to those voters to establish himself as the, the, the winning, you know, Trump-Brannon or Cruz-Brannon ticket. Uh, and then on the Democratic side, you had two fairly well-organized folks running against Deborah Ross, one of them being a businessman from Durham named Kevin Griffin, who owns a, a temp staffing sort of firm over there. Uh, he was funding a campaign with a lot of his own money, uh, using to hire staff and to uh, cross the state uh, making his uh, pitch. He ended up uh, endorsing Bernie Sanders in the last week of the campaign to try to set himself apart from Ross and uh, build on some of the, the Bernie Sanders mania uh, in the state. Uh, Chris Ray was the other notable one, the mayor of Spring Lake. Uh, Army veteran, uh, had a pretty strong biography as a candidate, but uh, uh, despite raising, I think, more than Griffin did, he wasn't able to get above about 16% of the vote. So uh, despite the best efforts of those two guys, they didn't come anywhere close to knocking off Deborah Ross. And then there were uh, two sort of long shot guys in the Republican primary, one long shot in the uh, Democratic, and none of those got above 10%. Colin, do you think that uh, this race will get some national attention. I mean, do you think the national pundits will say this is kind of one to watch? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is one that's going to have some influence from the uh, presidential race. You know, I think Burr 
uh, was probably a fairly safe candidate uh, going into this just because he is such a uh, established figure on, on Capitol Hill. He chairs the Senate Intelligence Committee. Um, and Ross, of course, is not as well known as, say, Kay Hagan or an Anthony Fox that was being actively recruited for the race but took a pass on actually running. So we'll see a ton of uh, outside money go into this. And if you have a, a Trump nomination and if that were to result in a low Republican turnout in North Carolina come November, um, that gets to be a really competitive race um, and one where I, I do think you will see a lot of advertising, a lot of attacks going back and forth. And in fact, we're already seeing it today. There's a, a variety of groups like the uh, several uh, national um, party organizations are already sending out attacks about the uh, the other's candidate uh, within 24 hours of them actually securing the nomination. So Deborah Ross is getting criticized as being too liberal. Richard Burr is being criticized. She's, I think she's already attacking him for um, his unwillingness to have a Senate confirmation hearing on the uh, the guy that Obama just nominated for Supreme Court. So uh, we're going to see a lot of crossfire in that over the next few months. And you're working on a, a story on that for the weekend. Correct? Yeah, trying to get a sense of just how much money is going to be going into there, what kind of groups are going to jump in, and, and just how much of a, a you know cash advantage does Richard Burr have. He has it now, but... I mean, this is a sort of race where you're going to see a lot of outside groups spending heavily, so it's going to be really hard to track who's spending what and what the impact is going to be going towards November. Is it going to match the Tillis Hagen race from a couple of years ago? You know, we might even set a new record. I mean, if if, uh, the Democratic, uh, you know, big money crowd is willing to uh, coalesce behind Ross the way they did with Hagen, and I can't see why they wouldn't, um, then this ends up being sort of almost a rematch of that race with, with just different candidates. Thank you, Colin. That'll be one to watch and look for his story, I believe, this weekend in the News and Observer on the uh, race that's starting off uh, between Deborah Ross and Richard Burr. Uh, we're going to bounce over to Craig Jarvis from the News and Observer, talk a little bit about the two gubernatorial primaries. Again, uh, no big surprises, actually no little surprises here. This was exactly what everybody thought it would be. But Craig, get us up to speed on that. Yeah, you're right. This is a matchup that's been in the works since McCrory took office three years ago. And uh, Nobody expected any different of an outcome, <clears throat> although the governor uh, did get a strong percentage of the votes, like a little over 80% in the three-way race. Cooper got, I think, 70% in a two-way race. But um, uh, similar to the Senate race, barely had the uh, ballots been counted when the, uh, the, the, in this case, the Republican Governors Association and the Democratic Governors Association started sending out uh, attack emails about uh, about uh, you know knocking down the other guy, and uh, in fact, uh, th- we've heard so often the uh, Obama Hillary fill in the blank candidate. Well, uh, Cooper last night issued a, a statement referring to the Trump uh, McCrory administration that we can look forward to. So that's the tone that's been set. In fact, today the uh, RGA announced what's supposedly a six-figure digital ad buy, which seems a little high for a digital ad buy uh, um, for. Um, for McCrory. So, uh, you know, that's, it's a, it's a race where another tens of millions of dollars is going to be spent. Uh, we'll, and we'll see, we'll see what happened for Cooper. He's got an, I guess for the first time, if I have this right in some 40 some years, would he's trying to knock off an, uh, a seated, uh, incumbent governor that hasn't happened uh, since we allowed them to uh, run for more than one term. So, and, uh, and yeah, it's going to get national attention too. It's, uh, it's uh, been, you know, labeled the um, the most competitive of, of governors of races when there's an incumbent governor. So we will see. This is a really big one for Democrats. If they if they lose that race, um, 
I mean, they're, they're kind of putting a lot of their eggs in that basket. They really, really, really want that seat, obviously. And if they lose that race, um, I don't think they're going to going to look too well down farther down ballot either yeah. it's a really big race for them um craig thank you i'm going to chime in just a little bit here with a couple other things another interesting race that has been little covered so far but will, i'm sure will be a lot covered in the near future is that the uh, um, primaries for attorney general where um two state senators two, two sitting state senators uh, josh stein the democratic side and uh buck newton on the republican side uh, won their uh, respective primaries and will now square off in the general election. And it's kind of a race that's been foreshadowed for a while. If you sit in committee meetings at the General Assembly, there was a lot of kidding going on between between uh, the two potential candidates and, and other legislators. So that'll be one to watch for sure. Uh, that's to, to take over where uh, Attorney General Roy Cooper will leave off as he runs for governor. Um, and then on the legislative side, there weren't uh, many surprises at all. It's kind of like... Uh, you know, we thought there might be more surprises, but it turned out mostly the incumbents won a couple of, uh, um, you know, uh, House members who had been in for a very short time uh, lost primaries. But other than that, all the incumbents won. Um, all the Senate incumbents, both Republicans and Democrats, won, won primaries. There were only seven of them who were challenged. But anyway, it was an interesting day yesterday, but not really uh, – not very uh, – you know, surprising on, on, on many fronts at all. And we'll be back. Colin, you want to chime in? Oh, yeah, I was going to say the, the one surprise that I saw was uh, Charles Jeter's uh, race to the finish in Mecklenburg County. You know, he's a close ally of, of Tim Moore, uh, fairly well-funded, but it was, what, 20-some votes was the final margin. It kind of went ba- back and forth all night, well into the night, as to who was winning. And I think that's within the margin of a recount. So once we add the provisional ballots, that could change if uh, if you're Charles Jeter, you're still on, on pins and needles now. That's a very good point. I was writing about that today. There are three uh, House races that are that as they stand right now before the final canvas are within the one percentage point threshold necessary for the, the, the you know the candidate with the least number of votes to call for a recount. The Charles Jeter race is one um, in Mecklenburg County. Another one in Mecklenburg County is the Democratic primary to face Representative Bill Brawley. Um, that race is 10 votes, separated by 10 votes out of more than 6,000. Uh, Jeter's was 28. And then there's a third race um, that is eluding me as I as we record this. But maybe I'll, uh, I'll get it and I'll mention it when we come back from the break. Um, we'll be back with uh, Will Doran and Lynn Bonner right after this. I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver to mom. I had no idea how hard it would be and what I would need to know. Things I never thought of, like how to improve her mood and ways for me to stay positive. Luckily, I found the Caregiving Resource Center from AARP. It had articles about the basics, but also information about the hurdles I was facing. Caregiving Resource Center at aarp.org caregiving. Articles, tips, and tools to help you both care for your loved one and care for yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. And we're back on the Domecast for our second segment. As we left the first segment, uh, I couldn't remember who the uh, the other potential recount is. And it's in uh, District House District 28, the Democratic primary. Um, Patricia Oliver and Jimmy Massengill, Massengill um, were within the one percentage point. Don't know if a recount will be will be uh, desired there. Um, that's to... That's in the, the district that um, Representative uh, Langdon 
is leaving and Larry Strickland is the Republican who won a primary there. So the winner of that close race will face Larry Strickland in November. So that's just to get that out of the way. Uh, now we're here with Will Doran uh, from the News and Observer who was out and about at the polls uh, on Tuesday and noticed noticed some things and, and got some good perspective on kind of what, what issues were going on at the polls and, and a little bit about turnout. Will, uh, what did you uh, observe yesterday? Yes, I was I was out and about in Raleigh uh, yesterday, but um, all over the Triangle and really statewide, there was uh, fairly high turnout, um, especially you know after after work got out, um, a lot of long lines reported. Um, people in Durham were voting until almost midnight. Uh, people in Raleigh, especially near NC State, um, were voting uh, past eleven o'clock. Um, and I actually spoke with uh, someone from the county elections office that happened because early voting coincided exactly with NC State's spring break this year. So all the kids were out of town or most of them were out of town and missed early voting. So uh, that led to that one precinct being <laughs> pretty busy on election day and they had some issues. Um, I know Mecklenburg County also went pretty late. I don't think they reported their last precinct until one thirty something a.m., um, and there, there were some, there were a few uh, more rural counties as well that uh, had some had some delays in reporting for whatever reason. Uh, Duplin County and a handful of others. It's about a dozen in total. Um, but yeah, um, for the most part, um, statewide turnout was thirty five percent. I know in Wake County it was forty one percent, which was higher than either of the last two presidential primaries. Statewide, that 35% number is about the same um, as the last two presidential primaries. So um, some people were saying that some of the, the long lines and the delays were due to confusion over voter ID. Um, I know that um, in Wake County, they reported around 8,000 provisional ballots were cast. Orange County, by contrast, it was around a little less than 500. So, you know, large range, but... Um, the uh, the numbers aren't in yet uh, breaking that down you know how many of those provisionals were because of id issues versus you know people showing up at the wrong precinct or wanting to vote on a republican ballot if they were registered democrat or things like that so we'll have those numbers eventually but um as of today wednesday they were not available so it seemed like just just kind of looking from the outside in it seemed like there weren't that many issues with voter id um don't know if that's true or not. I haven't heard any mass, you know, mass complaining about it. Uh, Dem- Democracy North Carolina did put out a uh, a press release today about some of the voting issues. Do you remember what what some of those were? Like specific people had problems with. Th- that's correct. They, they mentioned a you know a handful of issues, and I, I know they had um, uh, volunteers out at a lot of precincts who were talking to people as they left the polls, just you know quizzing them real quick. Hey, did you have any problems voting? Um, I ran into a few of those people when I was hopping from precinct to precinct, and none of them said that they had really, you know, faced any significant uh, ID issues. I know um, statewide, yeah, uh, they did um, they did announce, you know, a few issues. I think it was uh, mostly with, um, you know, some elderly voters who had issues with, you know, their ID or you know, people who had, you know, for instance, a temporary driver's license, um, but nothing, nothing on a major scale. Um, again, it, you know, they, they might've missed something. It could come out, um, later that there, you know, is more of an issue. Um, 
but um, for now, I, I don't think there's any really, uh, you know, massive, massive issues. Right. It didn't it didn't seem like it. Thanks, Will. We're going to jump to Lynn Bonner now. A little bit more on the voter ID issue. You've been following that closely for years now, it seems. Right. Yes, it has been years. Uh you know, we did a, a, an analysis right before, right after the end of early voting and looked at uh, where the uh, provisional ballots were being cast because of uh, the voter didn't have an acceptable ID. And they were heavily concentrated in uh, the um, counties where there are universities, particularly in Durham and Orange. I mean, those were really two standout counties. Um, and so there's an issue about, um, you know, college students likely from out of state no longer being able to cast ballots that will count. And, um, you know, what, how those students uh, were treated when they went to vote. Um, there are a lot of interesting little quirks in the law as it is now uh, where if you um, had an out-of-state license and registered on-site you could register and vote uh, a ballot that would probably count but if you had an out-of-state license and were registered a few months ago then or last fall you could cast a ballot, but probably it wasn't going to count. So it was um, lots of interesting little quirks in this law. Um, People are, you know, there are two lawsuits ongoing, one federal and one state, and people are looking to the application of the law to see, you know, who's impacted, and I'm sure both sides are looking at the results and saying, well, look, it's either, it's either great or no problems or look how unfair it is. Um, but, um, yeah, there's there's uh, there's a lot of interest in this. Of course, the uh, percentage of people who voted who did not have um, proper IDs was very small. So there's no – there didn't seem to be a widespread impact and uh, didn't seem to be a um, an impact um, that was disproportionate to um, African-Americans. Uh, that was our first glance at it. So, uh, you know, as I said, court case is ongoing. We'll see what happens. But, um, you know, we don't know, even looking at this data, we don't know what's going to happen um, in November with the general election because the pool of people voting is going to be so much larger. And um, people who might not have known about the ID law, because, you know, people who vote in the primary are the the ones who are really engaged and really uh, interested in races and um, what you need to vote. So uh, in the general, draws people who are less engaged, um, less knowledgeable. So we'll see what happens in November. Definitely be something to keep an eye on through November this year and probably beyond. Um, Lynn and Will, thank you. We're going to be back right after this with our third and most popular segment, Headliners of the Week. If you're a single man under the age of 35, you'd probably like to know what the ladies are looking for on an online dating site. A guy who had a few drinks and later got pulled over for buzz driving. See, that could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. And doesn't a guy who's back living with his parents but calls them my roommates just scream Mr. Right? Buzzed, busted, and broke. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. 
a message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Domecast, and now it's time for... Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. And we're back here on the Domecast, uh, the special Wednesday primary, statewide primary edition of the Domecast. Uh, Here with four journalists, it's time for our Headliners of the Week segment, uh, where everybody's going to nominate a headliner this week should be no shortage of headliner possibilities. We're going to start with Craig Jarvis from the News and Observer. Who is your headliner of the week? We had some sad news uh, Tuesday on Election Day when Senator, former Senator Earlene Parman of Forsyth County uh, died suddenly. She'd uh, been in the uh, House and the Senate from about 2003, I think, to last year uh, when she resigned to go work for Alma Adams' campaign. And uh, she had just had a long history uh, from the local level on up to the state level uh, on civil rights issues. Uh, she um, she was an opponent of the, uh, I mean, a supporter of the uh, uh, justice, uh, Racial Justice Act. And uh, 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 I think it was last year when she uh, called out the DHHS because of this big backlog they were having with the food stamp program. She wanted some account accountability on that she was kind of a quiet but uh, forceful presence I think there uh, she um, her replacement when she left the Senate uh, a minister out there in uh, Forsyth County uh, Paul Lowe told me yesterday that she uh, he described her as a warrior for the disenfranchised and that was kind of the theme that was echoed through the many uh, uh, accolades that came her way during the day but so uh, she would be my choice Craig nominates uh, former representative and senator uh, Earlene Parman. Uh, nice lady. Uh, was always out. I could always remember her out in the hallways chatting away with people, um, kind of in between sessions and committee meetings and things like that. Um, sadly, there was also another uh, legislator who passed away. Um, same day, I, I believe, um, Representative Ralph Johnson um, from Greensboro. Um, Kind of started hearing hearing that that might have happened as well, and then this morning it was confirmed um, he actually lost his primary um, yesterday. Um, but it was a sad day at the at Jones Street for a lot of legislators. Um, we're going to go now to Will Doran from the News and Observer. Uh, who is your headliner this week? My headliners are John Adcock and Vicki Scroggins-Johnson. They were two candidates who won uh, primaries for the Wake County Board of Commissioners as outsiders. Um, We spoke earlier about how outsiders generally this primary season hadn't fared too well, whether it was in the U.S. Senate or governor's race or even some of the state House and Senate races. Um, But uh, both of them, uh, Vicki, in the Democratic Party and John in the Republican Party uh, uh, running for the Board of Commissioners defeated former Board of Commissioner members um, and both of them um, you know ran you know not not totally unknown beforehand but uh, definitely not as well known as their opponents um, yet voters seem to like that um, especially in John Adcock's case he ran as uh, more of a, a centrist option uh, compared to uh, his uh, his fellow candidate in the Republican side, Phil Matthews, who was a former commissioner um, who left the board in 2014. So I thought that was just a little interesting juxtaposition to some of the uh, 
the, the different trends that we've been seeing on the state and national levels. No doubt. Um, Hyper local, I guess, with that headliner of the week. We're going to skip over now to Lynn Bonner uh, from the News and Observer. Who's your nominee this week? I'm nominating Daryl Hunt, uh, a gentleman who spent more than 19 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. Um, he was uh, convict, wrongly convicted twice and was exonerated by uh, DNA evidence. Um, after he was released, he became a forceful but gentle presence uh, as he worked in the legislature and uh, throughout the country and really talked about throughout the world about um, the uh, need to, um, or his position on the need to abolish the death penalty. We knew him at the legislature because he was active in a lot of bills um, related to the death penalty. Uh, he was um, found dead um, early Sunday morning. Police said today it was um, a likely suicide uh, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. He had been diagnosed um, after he left prison with cancer. But uh, a lot of people are remembering Daryl Hunt uh, this week, so he'll be my uh, nominee for headliner. Daryl Hunt? Uh, from Lynn Bonner, his name has certainly been at the top of a lot of news newscasts and and websites this week. Sad story, um, sad ending to a very sad story that went on for a long time. There, uh, Colin Campbell, who's your headliner this week? Well, I'm going to try to get us onto a little bit of a lighter note since we've had some sad headliners uh, Thank you. this week. Um, this is sort of more of a headline I wish I had the ability to write. Unfortunately, it was not a race that we were really paying much attention to. Uh, this is the uh, results in the NC House of Representatives District 6 Democratic primary. Uh, people running to replace, I believe it's uh, unaffiliated Representative Paul Tyne, who's not running again. The uh, candidates have the uh, the best names that I think of any two candidates to run against each other. Warren Judge and Judy Justice. And uh, Mr. Judge managed to win, so you could write that a number of ways. Judge defeats justice, justice no match for judge, uh, judge tramples justice, any of a number of things you could have done if you were writing an entire story about that primary, but I'm not sure that anyone in any of the major newspapers in the state was. Uh, Mr. Judge will go on to face Republican Beverly Boswell, who won that primary, and while having an alliterative name, does not have one that has a similar subject to judge. So uh, judge and justice are my headliners. And I, I think, and Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Judy Justice used to be used to have a different name, and she changed her name to Justice, um, maybe because it would look better on the ballot, or maybe not. I don't know what that. Yeah, sure. but I guess it didn't work out for it. People, people like judges. I mean, Judge Judy. Well, maybe people got confused because you had Judy Justice and a judge, and they didn't know whether they were voting for Judge Judy or what. I don't know. I'm confused. Her name used to be Judy Cranbull, I think. Yeah, Judy Justice has a nicer ring to it. It definitely does. Um, that's a great one from. From Colin Campbell, and this is kind of tough this week. We have um, former Senator Erlene Parman in the hat. We have Daryl Hunt, um, who likely committed suicide this week. And we have... Uh, Various Wake County Commission victors. Correct. And we have the alliterative uh, fund to create headlines race from Paul Tyne's legislative district up in the Outer Banks. I think I'm going to go with Daryl Hunt. I don't really know why other than um, that he has been in the news for for many, many years here. Um, Very sad story um, about somebody who's convicted 
apparently falsely and sent to prison for a long time, got out and did great things, but still couldn't overcome whatever uh, struggles um, he had in life, whether they were related to his prison sentence or not. We don't know, um, or at least I don't know. Um, but Daryl Hunt, I think it will continue, continue to see his name in the news. We'll hear a lot about him um, in the future. So we're going to go with him. And uh, we will be back again next Friday, I believe, the normal uh, normally scheduled time. Yeah, nothing terribly have... exciting next week. So we'll, we'll give you a weekend edition as per usual instead of this uh, early week treat. We could have talked a lot more about the primaries, but really um, the focus now is going to be on the general election in November. There really wasn't that, that much intrigue or surprise out of, out of the primaries, uh, but still a lot to talk about uh, in North Carolina this week. We'll see you next time on the Domecast. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.